Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 330, recorded October 25th, 2020. So when I was doing the uh, synopsis page, I mm-hmm. thought it was weird that it was episode 330 and we're doing UK strips 3-1 and 3-3. It's just like, oh my goodness, there's threes are everywhere. And then volume three? Yeah, and we're in volume three of the the UK strips, the IDW reprint. So there's some there's, there's some numerology thing with three. So I think it means something. Hmm. Wasn't there like a Jim Carrey movie that wasn't that good about some numerology thing or whatever? Oh, the significance numbers. of numbers. Oh, was yeah. that the name of it? Numbers. I think that was the name of it. I never mm. watched it. Yeah, I do. Mm. So, anyways, we're doing these these UK strips again today. Yes, we are. They're not horrible. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're but again we're we're, we're, we're moving audience. along quite a bit, aren't we? In them, yeah. we don't have that many left. Uh, yeah, we really don't. So, volume three, we're in the last of the big graphic novels that IDW printed with the uh, reprints. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, only a few more, and then we have some annuals that I think we have to go back to volume one to, to get to. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely a unique take on Star Trek and it's all good. It just just yep. got a great great get, Jupiters it's still good. Oh my god, bad. yes. Oh my god, yes. Great Jupiters. Yeah, and I really have to st- uh, a lot of my comments tend to be a bit too snarky on these and I really need to tone it down. But <laughs> Yeah, they are what they are. They are what they are. We are not the target audience. We, we are, are not, not 1970s British children. No, we are not. We are cantankerous Old Americans. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We, Just the opposite we like, we of the like target audience. We like our Star Trek the way we like it. God darn it. Second episode, or yeah, second episode of Star Trek Discovery. Just played. Just to give you an idea of how far in the past we are. Um, that you're listening to this. And um, the first episode was meh. The second one is better. So I'm looking forward to this uh, blossoming into uh, a good season. Yeah, I hope so. I haven't watched them yet. Yeah. When when Lower Decks was coming out, that was I looked forward to every Thursday. Oh, every every Thursday I woke up. Oh, it's Lower Decks day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then the next week, Thursday woke up and I'm like, oh yeah, Discovery comes out today. Yeah, I'll watch it later. <laughs> <laughs> and I still haven't gotten around to it. So I don't know what that means, but I find it weird that I was really looking forward to Lower Decks where I wasn't looking forward to I'm still looking forward to it it's just like it's not the first thing I think of when I wake up Thursday mornings like it was for the last couple of weeks with the uh, lower decks so. right and I know I'm like the minority because most people seem to hate lower decks so well the thing There's about lower that. decks is the first season so you know there's a lot of room for them you know getting their balance getting their getting their getting their sea legs and, uh, you know, getting into a rhythm and, and writing some good episodes, good scripts. 
And right. uh, so there's always that possibility where Discovery, even though they've had a lot of turnover and showrunners and writing staff and things like that, you kind of know what you're going to get, you know, right. with Discovery. But, so but this is in the future, so I am, I am, well, I am interested. Yeah, and it is, in a lot of ways, you're, you're seeing some things you haven't seen before. But then you're also seeing some things that you've seen since episode one, season one. <laughs> so just 950 years in the future or whatever it is. Right, right. But it is interesting yeah. to see uh, some interesting new tech that they keep springing on you. So towards the end of the second episode, and I'm not going to say anything in detail about this because Donovan doesn't like things to be spoiled, but there's a particular piece of tech it was like, oh, cool. So, tech from the the discovery or from uh, future from the future from the future. Cool. So something is given to Saru, which is a pretty cool piece of tech, and the person that gives them to him because Saru's like, what? And the guy that gives it to him says, "Welcome to the future." That's pretty cool. Cool. Like that. All right. Yeah, I'll give it a watch. Gonna give it a watch. Cool. But. We're talking about uh, some Valiant and TV21 issues. Yes, we are. So, storylines 31, 32, and 33. Right. So, I don't really have any other preamble, so if you want to just jump into the next one. Let's do it. We're good. Storyline 31 from Valiant and TV21. Issues 43 through 47 make up the storyline, and the published dates are from July 22nd, 1972 through August 1972. Writer, don't know, I don't know. And then John Stokes is the artist. The Enterprise picks up an SOS signal from a simple-looking silver cylinder with a pointy nose that identifies itself as Janvar 5. It requests permission to come aboard and claims peaceful intent. Kirk decides to be on board with a security team in wait just in case. The entire probe comes aboard and is only about four feet long. No living being is on board, so Kirk and Spock assume it's an automated probe capable of thought. It says it was sent by planet Janvar, and the mission is to autonomously look for other life forms. Kirk and his crew are the first the probe has made contact with, it says. Kirk decides to take the probe to Janvar, where Supreme President Court says they are not aware of any probes sent from their planet. Perplexed, Kirk suggests maybe it was sent so long ago that Court personally may not be familiar with it. They bring the probe into camera shot so Court and his people can see it. They react immediately to it, with dread, and one of Court's people says, They must destroy them immediately! There is not a second to lose! End of issue 43. Issue 44. Kirk and Spock are surprised and unsure what to make of the calls of the Janvarians for the destruction of the probe and the Enterprise with it. They prudently raise shields as six missiles launched from the planet explode on contact with the shields. The shields hold, and the ship is fine. Kirk and Spock say there is something about the probe that is all wrong, or the Janvarians would not have fired all those missiles. The probe's vocal patterns change, and says Kirk is correct, 
and deception was required to get them back to Janvar. A door on the probe opens up, through which two thin probes emerge. Blinding light emits from the probe and makes the bridge crew immobile. Apparently, phase two of the nefarious probe's plan is launched. Meanwhile on Janvar, Court says there has been no destruction between Janvarian races for centuries, and they need to keep it that way. He puts out a call to the Neutralization Center and tells them to destroy the mindless ones. Workers stare incredulously at the hundreds of upright cylinders filled with liquid and people in their underwear that are in the liquid that their leaders have now just told them to execute. End of issue 44. Issue 45. On board the Enterprise, the probe sets about its work, accessing the ship's hypersonic communications link. Spock comes to the conclusion the probe means them no permanent harm, and the probe confirms that, saying it just needs to keep control of Kirk and his crew a little longer. The probe begins to transmit into the mindless bodies in the cylinders on the planet. Spock wonders what is being transmitted. The answer? Minds. The mindless ones begin to open their eyes and smash through their watery glass prisons. They take out the guards and workers. The newly freed and armed underwear models say they need to get to the Starship Enterprise as soon as possible. Speaking of the Enterprise, on that mighty ship, the probe explains to Kirk and Spock the social paradise of Janvar was threatened by criminal elements that tried to seize power. They were caught, but could not be killed. Their minds were extracted from their bodies and placed in the probe. After it was launched into space, Court and the other leaders thought their minds would forever be separated from their bodies. Meanwhile on the planet, the shirtless criminals exit the neutralization center and expect conflict with Court's policemen. End of issue 45. Issue 46. Kirk and Spock assess the situation and try to find a way out of it. Spock figures the minds of the criminals are not fully united with the bodies, but rather it's more of a remote control situation until they can get to the Enterprise where they can be fully reunited. After they do that, they will try to use the Enterprise's mighty weapons to wage war against Court and the people of Janbar. Meanwhile on the planet, the criminal minds have no hesitation to use the weapons they stole against the authorities as they race to the neutralization center. With the police vehicles totally destroyed, the criminals make their way to a shuttle rocket station. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise, the probe tells Kirk he will assist in docking procedures to bring his people on board. Kirk refuses, but Spock does not, so the probe releases him from his paralyzed state. Kirk curses Spock's treachery as he leaves the bridge with the probe. Spock thinks that pretending to be cooperative, he has given himself a slim chance to turn the tables on the probe. If he does not get this right, however, they will all perish. End of issue 46. 47. The criminals, still in their underwear, take off in a rocket ship that hurtles towards the Enterprise. On the Enterprise, Spock works slowly to prepare for the rocket docking. He figures remote-controlling their bodies over such a long distance must be tiring for the criminal minds. So if he can draw this out as long as possible, they might lose control. 
The paralyzed Scotty is somehow able to open a channel to the rest of the ship to say a power overload was building when he and his engineers were all frozen. Since it has started to build into a critical overload, they can't do anything to stop it. Spock tells the probe he needs them to release Scotty so he can deal with the overload or the entire ship will explode and them with it. The probe struggles to keep the entire crew paralyzed and remote control the bodies in the rocket ship. Scotty and his team find that they can move again, but not without great effort. Scotty is freed enough to allow him to shut down the building power levels. Spock does not bring down the shields, so the rocket containing the criminal's bodies impact against them and blows to tiny itty-bitty bits. Without the bodies, the mines in the probe all freak out due to losing all purpose. The probe falls over and hits the deck, deader than a doornail. Later, on the bridge, everything goes back to normal, but Kirk decides the Janvarians are just too weird and orders a course away from that kooky planet. End of issue 47, and story 31. Did he actually say kooky? Kooky. These guys are kooky. I don't think we need to do any further uh, first contact with them. Later. (laughs) He basically said that. He didn't use the word kooky, of course. But basically, just to wrap things up, it's like, uh, we're just leaving. And really, are the John Varians that weird? I mean, whatever. Yep, you're right. It, no weirder than anything else. <laughs> I, okay, so in here, they're, it's they're set... They're not Telosians. No, they're not Telosians. We don't need the general order whatever. Okay, there's trivia for you. What, what's the general order that keeps people from Talos for? I don't remember. I don't remember either. So, oh my God. I feel so embarrassed. So, in the story, it said they couldn't kill the criminals. They couldn't. As opposed to them having moral reasons why they couldn't just execute people. Capital punishment's not a good thing. Oh, right. But who knows? Maybe that is part of the reason. Anyway, the main point is they went to the trouble and expense of figuring out how to separate minds from bodies and transferring them into the probe, which they shoot off at great expense into the uh, great unknown. Right, it's almost like a reward. Almost kind of like Spacey, where you don't execute your Ooh, prisoners, spacey. you send them out into space so they right. can live happily some other time, some other place. They have a chance someplace else. Yeah. And then Kirk, again, gives Khan another chance. There you go. Maybe it's something like that. But but basically, they'll never have bodies, so you're kind of dooming them to an, uh, an eternity of... Being inside of this cylinder in space. Drifting, oh, yeah, I guess. I guess drifting. that's worse. But you can kind of do the whole mental thing, right? And take over bodies? Or how'd that work exactly? I mean, so well, they, they, kept they the remote. Alive. Was it their own bodies that they were It going was their own bodies. Or? Yep. So they didn't kill the bodies, which is another so, big expense. Yeah, so you're going to store all these bodies somewhere? Just yeah. warehouses full of criminals? Yeah. And, and didn't they say, I think they said something about hundreds of years. Or right. we haven't had any conflict on the planet in at least 100 years. Maybe it was 200. I don't know. So I assume that's because you got rid of the criminals that tried to take over. So yeah. that's 100 or more years ago? So you guys live a long time? Because the criminals knew it was court. It was the leader. Right. Uh, but he wouldn't have been the leader 
100 years ago unless they're extremely long-lived. I don't know. There just seemed to be a few things that were kind of... Right. Yeah. And it was weird that they all looked exactly the same. Like, all the guys in underwear, they all looked exactly the same. Yep, same haircuts, everything. Same haircut, same face. You'd think they would want to do something different. Right. A little variety. Yeah, they all have the Mo Howard haircut. Exactly, exactly. Well, I guess Uh, if we were going to do British, they all have the second Doctor haircut. Oh, yes. Yes, they do look a little bit like the second Doctor, only younger. Right. And a little handsomer. Okay. He's very handsome. What are you talking about? What? The second doctor? Come yeah. on. He was the clown guy. Right. It's funny. Um, this is off topic, but it's it's kind of funny, so I want to tell you. We were watching something about the Omen the other day, my yeah. wife and I. The original. You know, the the original with Gregory Peck and, sure. and Patrick Troughton, who plays the second doctor. Right, right. And I watched a special one time, and it had uh, Richard Donner talking about making it. And he was talking about while they were filming people would refer to oh the doctor's going to be you know this is where the doctor's going to die blah blah blah, uh-huh, blah. Uh-huh. and then he not being a fan of doctor who was like no 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 he's he's the priest <laughs> the priest is going to die <laughs> you know but they kept referring to him as the doctor and and he he didn't catch the he didn't know what the what the connection was cause, oh because he plays a priest in that movie sure sure so i i thought it was funny my wife being a big doctor who fan uh, thought the story was funny and if we leave it in this episode, maybe somebody out there will think it's funny. <laughs> Considering Donner's filmography, I mean, he did a lot of oh, Superman and a lot of cool genre films. I mean, right. did he truly never see Doctor Who? I don't know. From all the interviews I've heard of, the, of <clears throat> Richard Donner, one thing I can kind of think I, I know about him is mm-hmm. that he, he likes to tell stories. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, and so a lot of times I'm like, I wonder if that's really true or if that just makes he just really made it up. You know, like he talks about <laughs> how he tricked Gene Hackman into shaving his mustache off. Uh huh. Because he kept telling, because he I guess he had a mustache too, and he was like telling uh, Gene Hackman, if you shave your mustache off for the Superman movie, I'll shave mine off as well. And then he said when Gene Hackman came on set for the first time, he had a big mustache. And it was a prosthetic one, so when Gene Hackman started throwing a fit, he was like, no, no, Gene, and then he pulled off right. the fake mustache. Pulled, so, again, it could have happened, but, you know, sometimes it's just like, ah, did these, these really happen? Exactly. And but then so, there, was, there, was that, there was that story, I don't know, what, if we have mentioned these, I'm not quite sure, before on the, on, on the, on the podcast, maybe we have. But uh, supposedly another one where uh, Marlon Brando supposedly was giving the young director, Richard Donner, some of his ideas... To mess with him, because he was young and nervous and that kind of stuff. To mess with him, he uh, supposedly Mario Limbrando said, I think it'd be a great idea if if he descended down naked with a <laughs> donut on his penis. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Supposedly that. Freed, the version I heard was out. that Richard Donner, he kept <sighs> telling Richard Donner that he thinks that Jor-El should just be a bagel. He's like, we don't know what we don't know what a Kryptonian looks like. We've never seen his father. His father could just be this bagel. And then Richard Donner was like, Well, actually we know what Superman looks like, so we would think that we should he should look human like, like his son will. Then Marlon Brando was like, Oh, okay, so I guess I'll just play it then. So but, in all so the years again, there's lots and lots of stories, so yeah, you kinda of wonder which ones are true. What's real which ones are just, exactly. just makes just a good stories, story. Right. So, so maybe over... the doctor thing was just one of those one of those tales. Right. So over all the years with Superman comics, you never saw was it Jor-El 
or well, the according to Marlon Brando. Okay. Okay. <laughs> fine. Fine. Okay. Again, am I? I just question maybe he was just that assertion. Running. Anyways, so back to this issue. Yeah, Mo Howard haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. All wearing red, red trunks, and they get to live forever. Exactly. But also notice that there's at least one panel where they show one of the guards in a green shirt. And he looks just like the criminals. And he's a guard. Right, except right? he's wearing green shirts, yeah. Exactly. He's, he's actually got a shirt on. Uh, so I don't know why everybody's drawn this to look the same. Uh, I mean, you know, those, Court uh, doesn't look like aliens, them. aliens, they all look alike. Well, but Court doesn't. Anyway, whatever. Oh, that's right. He looks like Merlin. <laughs> exactly. Because that's what makes sense, isn't it? <laughs> Don't a lot of leaders on the in these comics have outlandish hats on and things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, this guy doesn't have a hat on, but yeah. you know, he's pretty bald on top. But he's got the beard and everything. Okay, yeah, so, so there, there's some holes in this story. Sure, sure, sure. Tell me about them. No, no, no. Just we've already pointed out the hole. Uh, All of them, or just? Well, no, 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 no. Oh, there's yeah, many more. Ahead. Tell me another one. <laughs> Tell me another one, Ken. Where do I begin? There's so many possibilities. Here's another one that just makes me scratch my head, going, "What the heck?" The disembodied consciousnesses of dozens and dozens of criminals that try to take over the try to take over the planet are separated and put into this rocket and then shot off into the, the inky black of, of space. And they figure never to be heard from again. So, great. The Enterprise encounters them 100 years later, 200 years later, not 100% clear, but sometime later. And this thing, which completely reminds me of Nomad from Taz, it's got the ability to hover and float around. Which, so it's got some kind of anti-grav or something where it's able to just float around, which seems like, hmm, why would they build that functionality into a rocket? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think they were planning on it going to a planet, or? No. I mean, they don't seem to be very technically advanced. <laughs> I mean, this, this planet. I right. mean, they, they, they seem to have chemical rockets. That's how they, the thing they took over. Uh, it looks like just a, a traditional, you know, chemical rocket. That's uh, it could have been some other propulsive force, but it looked like a chemical rocket. So they don't appear to be overly technologically advanced. However, this four-foot-long probe has all kinds of great things it can do, which seem like if you, all you're doing is housing criminals and shooting them off into the inky black, you're never going to see them again. Uh, why would you build all that in there? So if you didn't build all that in there, and there's a long list, so it hovers, no problem. It has little doors in it, and then little arms come out of it, uh, enough that it can manipulate controls on the Enterprise, and it has the amazing ability to be able to shoot a light or something out at the bridge crew and totally paralyze them. So they built the original... Janvarians built that feature into it, or they somehow developed that over time. Uh, and not only that, I mean, they show Maybe a light. Evolved, like V'ger did. Like V'ger did. Yeah. So we built in evolutionary abilities into the probe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, not only that, I mean, they, they insinuate that maybe it's light based that's taking, that's making everybody paralyzed, but it affects the entire crew. How does that happen? Yeah, whether they were in the light or not. 
Exactly. Um, so however it's able to do it, it's able to get through walls and bulkheads and affect the entire crew. Then finally, the ability to transmit through the Enterprise's communication systems, which they've never seen before, the ability to remote control these bodies. And do these bodies have special gear in the skull or something that's going <laughs> to receive radio waves? and uh, Whatever. I'm, I'm being picky. Just yeah, go with it, Ken. Well, Just go with it. And this is a story they they kind of redo later in the third issue that we're going to do today where it's uh, they can just transport mines and stuff without any type of receiving hardware. It's just right. you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It seems kind of hard to swallow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So one of the things I did like about this issue, since mm-hmm. can I talk about things I like? Oh, please, please, please. The uh, the rockets that hit the Enterprise, uh, I thought that was a cool drawing uh, where it showed the six incoming attacks, and then when it when it does hit the Enterprise, it's you know cool shadow and explosions and stuff. Right. Uh, that looked nice, and then um, yeah, that that part was good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Enterprise in general is pretty well drawn. Enterprise in general looks good. The the rocket that uh, that they were in and the flashback it looks good. You know, um, when it's launching off the pad. Right. So, anytime it was ships, I thought the artwork was really good and I enjoyed it mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. But right. um, and some of the close ups look like the characters from mm-hmm. the show. Some. But uh, but a lot of times they're they're all way too thin. Like uh, they almost look stretched out, especially Kirk. Yeah. At times he just looks like a skin and bones guy. Yeah, he's he's pretty thin. I agree in many panels, not all panels, but many. Not all. It's panels. like not oh, all what the? I think Kirk. But it's like uh, the long. It Kirk. seems like it's the long shots, like when he's like walking through a door in, in the background. Mm-hmm. It's just like he just looks stretched, like like Saru almost with these long mm-hmm. spindly arms. Right. So not the best artwork we've seen from UK comics, but in some ways better and in some ways not as good. So, right. Yep. Still better than what uh, Gold Key does a few years later. So, I mean, this predates Gold Key and, uh, and a lot of times, I mean, these characters, I will say, look more like, more consistently like the actors than Gold Key does. Yep. Just putting and it out. They don't have exhaust coming out of the DNA cells. That, that part's cool, though. So. And, the, and the shuttle bay. <laughs> I'm going to always give Gold Key a pass on that because they chose aesthetics better than, than anything else because that looked cool. So <laughs> that's what they're going to put on that show. You can give them a pass for that. Yes. Okay. Always. Okay. Okay. Well, they just had a bunch of shuttles there just, just lined up and they had their engines going. That's it. <laughs> that must have been it. Well, that would make sense. Push there you go. Further. There you go. Exactly. A little extra push from the shuttles. I thought Ohura was getting a lot of responsibility in this issue. Yeah, unfortunately she's Caucasian. Mm, well, okay, so some panels, she's got slightly darker skin. But some other panels, she's as, she's pretty white. And then right. definitely her facial features. I mean, she's got just a cute little nose. And her lips are fairly thin. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not well done. It's not well done. So she's wearing the Ohora uniform and uh-huh. hairstyle, but uh, her skin is very white, especially in those close-ups. It's just yeah. like, she just looks like a, a Caucasian woman. Yeah. 
So what? I mean, again, these were print, I'm I don't know what kind of paper quality these mm-hmm. were in originally. So I mean, I'm giving them a pass a lot for coloring. Color. You know, mm-hmm. like everybody's wearing green, everybody's wearing yellow. Because I mean, I'm assuming these were on like almost you know back back in the day that old comic book paper, mm-hmm. that glossy magazine paper that that they get now. I mean, these were in like cheaper magazines, right? Like, I think so. I've never seen so, one. I'm sure myself, they're not. But... Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't own any physical books from that time. So, right. But I, I'm assuming that it's not qual- great quality paper. So I'm yeah. not expecting great quality colors. Right. Yeah. But cool. Caucasian does look a little weird on on a horrid. Yeah. But anyways, so about her extra duties. Yes. So yeah. So near the beginning of the story, I, th- I think it's the beginning of the story. I've got a screen capture showing. Kirk is leaving the bridge, so he's heading to the turbo lift, and he says, Get a squad to your transporter room, Ahura, and beam the aliens in. You come with me, Spock. So, the transporter room is Ahura's now? And maybe I'm just being picky about word choice, but I just (laughs) thought, oh, so Ahura's in charge of the transporter room now? Okay, well, they have a, a his and hers transporter room, so they oh. just want to, they want to use hers this time instead of the one they use. The his. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and this will happen in later issues, too, where Ahura's getting the con all the time, which is great. Yeah, it's great. I think that's great. It's yeah. like, but it's like... she and Sulu were still the same rank at this point, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But that's a point for a later issue. So who is fourth in command? So Scott, it's Scotty's third. So who is who is fourth technically? Would it be her or would it be Sulu? Well, I in the Taz show it was Sulu. Okay. So Sulu is the guy that came after Scotty, and Ohura never got the con, right? Uh, at least not in Taz. So, but that would I mean, she's an officer. You know, maybe Sulu was in the program for. You know, management program. I don't know. But they never gave Ahura the con in toss. So, and she gets it all the time here, which is very progressive. Which is good. Good I job. Like I, li- I like that. You, 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 you Brits are, uh, that's, that's good. I like it. They're forward thinking. Exactly. Another thing I'd like to point out that confuses me is when you first see Nomad, the cylinder guy, it says somewhere in deep space... Its power unit long dead. A metal cylinder drifts on an endless, helpless journey. So it's like, its power unit. Okay. But it's still, for, it's, I mean, even in that same panel, it's still... Uh, it's transmitting. Transmitting. It's transmitting. Later on, it's floating around the Enterprise and taking over the entire crew. So I'd say its power unit is not long dead. Maybe they're really talking about the propulsion systems? So maybe if it is like fuel-based propulsion, maybe they've run out of fuel. That or maybe okay, it's fine. Just a but trap. <laughs> okay, but 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 this is this is the all-knowing narrator that's saying that's this. True. That's true. So the all-knowing narrator is supposed to know what's going on. Hmm. Good point. That just occurred to me. Odd. Well, you are correct. That is inconsistent. Um, I really don't have anything else on this one. I, I didn't like this cylinder, and especially when it was just talking through a little um, hypodermic needle-looking thing. <sighs> and it seemed like 
the word bubble was always pointing towards that little needle, and I'm like, is that where the sound's coming from? Right. You know, I, is that is that its mouth? I don't know. Yeah, and then then the needle, which is coming out of the the very front of it, has what appears to be like a metal slinky, stretched out slinky around it. Right. Some, some metal coiled, or something. Right. So I'm not. I'm not quite sure what that is, but uh, that's, that's there too. That's where the uh, mind control beams are being shot out. Of. Oh, there you go. It's an antenna of some kind. Yeah, exactly. Probably you get more surface area with a little spindly, with a slinky. That's a good one. A slinky yeah, on the, slinky on the outside. Exactly. It looks like a slinky, stretched out slinky. <laughs> okay, so I got two more things to say, and then I'm done. Um, All right. Number one, I think the idea of allowing the rocket populated with the bodies of the criminals. To just come up and slam into the shields, which Spock didn't didn't drop, is a rather elegant solution. Even though he killed all those people, still, that's of an elegant solution. Basically, they kill, let them kill themselves against the shields, the invisible shields. I think it's very very smart. So they were coming in for a landing, and you just don't don't pull down the shields. And just don't pull down the shields. Crashing. Boom. Yeah, that boom, works. baby. So I thought that was pretty He, pretty he did what the, the executioners of the planet couldn't do, <laughs> which is actually good. Exactly. But of course, that's not their, not their consciousness. That's just their physical bodies that are being remote controlled by the true consciousness, which is still inside the probe. And handy dandy, when your bodies die, then they all just, what, gave up? And then the, the whole probe just fell over on its side? dead because its reason for existence is canceled forever there you go okay yeah no I, I, I mean they should still be in there right they just can't get back into their own body exactly maybe they can take over other bodies maybe they can take over the crew right. they have options here or find some robots androids to download their consciousness you know whipping up androids that you can download your consciousness and is really easy they could do that they just need to meet up with Mud, and he can hook them up with the, the robots. <laughs> exactly. Okay, my last comment is there is a particular scene where they show Spock, who is, you know, he's thinking about the things going on, and he's figuring out something he can do. And I'm not quite sure why, but they've got him colored like an orange-red kind of color. Mm-hmm. His face, except for his parts of his eyes. And it's, a, it's an inconsistent parts of his left and right eye. But they've got him all there, you know, look like he spent too much time on a tanning bed. The positive is it's red enough that it isn't like that chemically induced orange tint that some people get. You know, when they use the uh, the chemically based uh, tan stuff. Yeah, the fake bronzer stuff. There you go. There you go. Fake tanning stuff. So uh, I guess that's better than the straight orange. I don't know why they would have tinted his face like that. Something must have been going on that I don't remember. Yeah, I thought that his face was what you were going to talk about, where he's just kind of looking off to the side, like like you see in like romance novels and stuff like that. Nah. Like, yes. Is he thinking about me? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Does Bob really like my bread? My casserole? My chicken casserole? What was that old commercial with the coffee where the guy drinks another cup? Oh, right. Like U-Ban or something. Or she's like... Bob never has a second cup. That's it. That's it. (laughs) That's the one. They've done jokes about that, like on Saturday Night Live or something. Sure, sure. Yeah, no. 
Yeah, that's but I, as a kid, I remember that commercial. There you go. Okay, so I'm done. That's all I have to say about this one. All right. I'm out. Well, let's move on to maybe the best one out of the three, I think, maybe. Oh, do you think? Do you, do you really think? Okay. I actually do think it's better than the other two. <laughs> okay. Okay, fine. This one is called the Parathes Alliance, and it came out August 26th, 1972, to October 21st, 1972. And that was Valiant and TV21 issues 48 through 56. They're also reprinted in the Classic UK Comics, Volume 3 by IDW. And if you're collecting the Eagle Moss graphic novels, they uh, this one is in issue 121 of the Eagle Moss. Yeah, Enterprise is playing host to a guy named Ambassador Sork who is even getting to visit the bridge and play with all the buttons. Reminds me of the scene from Airplane when little Tommy gets to go up to the cabin. But anyways, an unidentified vessel appears within sensor range. Kirk readies an away crew and reluctantly agrees to let Sork join Chekhov and two other red shirts. The boarding craft enter an airlock to find the craft empty and undamaged. Without warning, the craft launch forward. The Enterprise tries to follow, but they're attacked by an unknown weapon that stops them dead in the water. Kirk contacts HQ, and the Admiral tells Kirk that this is going to look very bad for his year-end review. The pair agree that this must be a Romulan trap, since only the Romulan Empire would benefit from a failed alliance with Sork's people. The Enterprise heads to the planet Tecton, which is the nearest Romulan-controlled planet. As they near the planet, Spock detects heat signatures consistent with a rocket landing. Kirk and Spock attempt to beam down, but at the last second, Scotty has to redirect the beam since he finds out that they were heading straight to a volcano. The pair materialize in an unknown jungle, but the strain of the last-minute coordinate change has left them unconscious. They are found by some wookie-looking tectonians and once awake spock realizes that the creatures are not hostile i would think that they're not hostile because you know they didn't kill them while they were sleeping but uh, spock's able to figure it out because the tectonians are drawing pictures of romulans and then stepping on them to show them that they hate romulans so anyways but with the communicator damaged they cannot actually communicate with these eight people later the enterprise sends a probe and it spots Kirk, Spock, and the ape-like creatures. Uh, it then gets shot down. Sulu then beams down to the planet with a translator. So now the Starfleeters can plan out a course of attack on the Romulan base with their newfound ape friends. The Romulans have Sork, Chekhov, and the rest of the landing party in an old-style dungeon cell. The Romulans decide to spring a track by somehow letting them escape, and then they will enter a booby-trapped rocket that they will then send back up into space, and it'll explode. I think that's their plan. They think that by having this escape craft explode, it'll make the Federation look bad since uh, Sork died under Kirk's watch. It's a very convoluted plan because they could just kill him right now and technically does the same thing. But anyways... Uh, their plan is in motion. A sleepy Romulan guard arrives to bring them afternoon tea to the captives. 
Then Sork and Chekhov knock him out, and they make their escape. While escaping, they meet up with Kirk, Spock, Sulu, and together, they make their way to the rigged rocket. Cunning as always, Kirk smells something fishy. Kirk then locks in the controls, sending the craft back to the Romulan base, as he and the rest of the crew beam safely to the Enterprise. The Wookiee-like creatures watch as the craft launches and then does a quick 180 and then plunges back into the base, destroying their Romulan oppressors. Later, Ambassador Sork is pleased with Kirk's actions, and he agrees that becoming an alliance with the Federation is the thing to do. The end. So I challenge you to find something wrong with this one. It all makes perfect sense. Yeah, so something I do like is that the Romulans are depicted as being very devious, cunning, Mm -hmm. even though some of their plans sound like, I don't know, Wile E. Coyote, Acme, ways of trapping the Roadrunner. I don't know, overly complicated. Especially that plan, like, we're going to let them get free, but we're going to put them on a ship where it'll explode and make them look bad. It's like, uh, it was still your ship. You're still the ones that kidnapped them. Exactly. You look exactly. Worse you kidnapped them. <laughs> you you engineered all of this. I mean, how are you going to be able to spin the narrative that this is all the Federation's fault? Oh my right. god! It's just yeah. yeah if the Federation whatever. were your friends, then I couldn't have kidnapped you. So join me. Mm. Yeah. No, it's bad. Yeah. The Romulans are depicted. As the one guy looks a little like Ming the Merciless with a helmet on, with a uh, Magneto helmet. Huh? I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Asian. do look like the helmets that they wore in season one and season three of, of Taz, right? I mean, a little bit like, I mean. You mean some, some, of, the, uh, some of the guards or something? Some of the right, minions. Right, right. Yeah, yeah no, the, you're right. The one guy looks maybe a little Ming like. But at least they're wearing helmets. I mean, they're not wearing Roman togas, which the last time UK strips did Romulans, they were Roman togas with the little, you know, I think they even had the little uh, leaf crown thing. Right. You know, looked very Nero-like. So at least they look kind of (laughs) Romulan-ish. Except kind of. They have uh, non-pointy ears. (laughs) Well, you can't see their ears. You don't know. But um, okay. Anyway, so but... on the second page of this, there is just one particular scene where it shows headshots of two Romulan guys. The one looks like Ming. The other guy, not he doesn't have facial hair, and he's not as strongly Asian looking. Both with helmets. And I just want to remember this picture of Romulans when we get to the next issue. Where spoiler alert, it involves Klingons. Okay, they don't look. Hugely different. Anyway, this ambassador, Parathes, or no, Sork. He's from yeah, Parathes. His name's Sork. Uh, yeah, Parathes is the planet. Okay, so I think Sork is quite the adventurer. I mean, for somebody who's an ambassador, he's all down with danger and, uh, you know, experiencing of life. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. But is he competent, though? <laughs> he wants to do it. I think his uh, ambition outweighs his uh... abilities abilities yeah kirk lets him take the con but he tells spock oh yeah i locked it out no problem he can't do anything 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I thought was so. It really, I kept thinking of the scene in Airplane where they let the little boy come up to the bridge and uh-huh. and Maybe. just you know play with the buttons. Exactly. Come on up to the cockpit, and that's not a problematic name for a room. Okay. Another thing that I just noticed, which I think is cool and what is Ohura. Depending upon which panel you look in, Ohura actually does look like a black lady mm-hmm. with, with, with features you'd expect. Or she looks like Nurse Chapel with a, with a brunette wig on. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's one where Ohura's right next to Spock in the shot. And then in the background is uh, the ambassador at the helmsman station. And, oh. and Ohura oh, is wow. incredibly white. And she kind of looks like Major L. Barrett. She does, right. You are absolutely right. Yeah. So it's like, okay. It, I guess it depends. I mean, are, are different people doing the artwork? Or, I, I don't know. Because there's another one on page 49 where she's not whitewashed. Or no, issue, in issue 49. Where she looks fine. I mean, she looks pretty... Oh, yeah, anyway. she, looks, she looks like the actress. Yeah. So um, the, on, on Ahura's uniform, was her... Uh, logo that high up where it was kind of in the black of the the v-neck oh i see no it was never like like that i think it looks cool i don't i don't think they ever did that though no i didn't think so either but when i saw that when i was reading it i was like that actually looks kind of cool because it's above the black and actually kind of like on top of her skin a little bit on her on her chest and it kind of gives it a cool look i thought yeah that is different kind of but when it's just a fabric badge it's i don't know how it would stay pointy Mm. Well, yeah, <laughs> but if exactly. it was like the metal badges like they use in the Kelvin mm-hmm. movies that would look pretty cool right Yep. Anyways. good point I did not notice that but it does kind of look good something I think looks questionable is there's a shot that shows Ohura at her station comms station and to the left of her they show the actual comms panel and if you look closely the comms panel looks like a giant communicator control pad it's on the first page. Easy yeah, the first to. page. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm looking at it with the big like speaker-looking thing. Exactly. So, I mean, well, you're, you're familiar with, with the control layout in a, in a hand communicator, right? Not, not overtly. I've never owned one. And <sighs> oh, wow. I've owned plenty. And that's <laughs> it. So they basically took a close-up photograph of a communicator, and they just made her comm station that. So there's, you know, the big speaker thing with the squiggly lines. And then beneath that, there are three, like, button controls. And then beneath that, there's a rectangular thing that has kind of like a microphone square on the left and then two more control buttons. If you compare that with your Taz era communicator, which you happen to have in your home office sitting right there, that is identical (laughs) to the control layout uh, of a hand communicator. So I just thought that was... Interesting choice. That's kind of cool, though. I mean, so yeah. technically, her her station has always just been a giant communicator, and we exactly, just which kind of makes sense. I guess it does kind of make sense. <laughs> Since that's our job is to communicate. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's funny. I did not notice that. Yeah. So I thought it was odd how they drew Chekhov. I mean, when you first meet him, at least I assume that's him. There's Kirk in the middle of the panel, and then there's the ambassador on the right portion of the panel, and I assume it's Chekhov on the left. 
And the guy looks more like, I don't know, the first Aaron Stevens on Bewitched than he does Walter Coney. <laughs> uh, which, which issue was that in? Is it the first one? Is this one? No, 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 no. Is that issue 48? Uh, Is he the one in the blue shirt you're talking about? It's the blue shirt, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't see Darren Stevens, but yeah, definitely does not look like... Uh... <laughs> you Okay. You 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 are familiar with Bewitched. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I love Bewitched. Dick Sargent, okay. Dick York. Dick, They're both great. He, Dick Sargent. So I think yeah. he looks like Dick Sargent. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess so. I don't see it, but Sam, bring me a martini. Yeah. So. Okay, well whatever. He doesn't look like uh, Walter Coney. Not at all. Not let me at just all. let me just make that point. Maybe we can agree on that. That is abundantly clear. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Stevens. I haven't thought of that guy in forever. <laughs> Until I saw this issue, I, neither had I. What did you think of the Wookiees? You know, I didn't think of them as Wookiees, but now that you mention it, they are a bit Wookiee-like. Maybe a combination somewhere between a Wookiee and the pet alien chimpanzee on Lost in Space. The original one or the new the the newer one? The original one. Wasn't that just a normal chimpanzee with little antennae glued onto his head? Well, he had like a head thing on his head. And antennae? Did he have antennae? I thought he just had big ears. Yeah. I I could be off. It's been a while. But the main point is it looks like a gorilla with really long, like what, wolf ears or something? Yeah, like bear ears almost, yeah. Bear ears, something like that. Yeah, uh, or maybe maybe like an orang- orangutan or baboon or in, yeah, in, but those in the all snout. Are pretty much but normal the... human ears looking. What are, they don't have pointed ears like this one. No, no. We, we, oh, you're yeah, talking about the rest. That's of my point. Body. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, his body is yeah, very. So it's now, yeah, yeah. Maybe a variety of different apes, kind of melange together with wolf ears or something or bear ears. So uh, uh, it was a cool design. Yeah, I, I liked it, and, and I liked how they realized that they weren't bad. But I mean, that's just like they didn't eat you or kill you while you were asleep. So why would you assume they were bad? <laughs> right. I guess they don't know that they were dragged to the cave and protected. They just woke yeah. up and oh well, my goodness, it's monsters! Also, look look at how they did it. I mean, how they how they wrapped up the first issue, or not, is it the first issue or second one? Anyway, the the one they wrapped up is basically showing one of these guys <laughs> with Spock and one under his left arm, and then with his right arm, this ape guy has got Kirk giving him the biggest wedgie of the world. Biggest wedgie in the world. The biggest wedgie in the world, and they look like little puppets or something. I mean, this guy looks big. Yeah. I mean, he's, they, they, he's talking there, too. A garuga. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's talking to his family or something. I don't know. But right. uh, but this guy looks like he's 10 foot tall or something. I mean, compared to how he's, you know, carrying Kirk like a, in an odd way, like a rag doll or something. And maybe just because he's not like at his full height or something, like he's kind of like a little like a little lower and more comfortable but he's at some points later on he's like eye and eye with Kirk 
Uh, there's one spot where he's kind of squatting down the bat, the, uh, the the ape guy, and mm-hmm. Kirk is taller than him. And it's like I just I just think the the size of this guy is a little inconsistent. Uh, inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, he definitely looks way bigger in that in that panel where he's carrying him than he does any right. other any. Other and maybe may because that's because they want you to think. You know they're in danger. Oh yeah, they're about so to you, get eaten. So you watch next week, or you yeah. tu- you pick up the next issue. All right, you would definitely pick up the next issue. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I liked it. I liked the monsters, and I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of silly how they were able to communicate by drawing pictures of Romulans and then <sighs> killing them, killing the pictures, and then right. that's how. And then Kirk's like. I'm going to step on this one, and that way they'll know we're friends, and we don't like the Romulans either. And I'm like, how do you know that's what they're saying? They might be saying, these are our gods, and then Kirk starts stomping on them. (laughs) (laughs) Always the tricky part of communicating without a universal translator. Yeah. And then, so what happened? So they were going to beam into a volcano? Was that part of the Romulan trick? so dumb. I couldn't figure no, out. No, that was what that was. There. Okay, so they just wanted. Uh, okay, so for the purposes of the story, they wanted certain things to happen. But trying to say that with ship sensors, the Starfleet officers can't tell the difference between human beings on a surface, living beings on a surface, and a volcano <laughs> is. Oh my God! How inept are you writing this? <laughs> You're. Oh my God! Gee, for all the decades of having Star Trek stories presented to us in video form, how come they never mixed up the difference between a volcano and some people hanging out on a on a planet surface? Gosh. Well, now for their record, they were following exhaust fire oh, the, the rockets exhaust. So, oh my God! No, I, I thought that was. That part was silly, okay, so but good, I good did kind of like the last minute, like, oh, we got to shoot him over here real quick. I, th- I kind of like that part, even though it doesn't really make sense. Oh, using probes, period? No, no, no. Just the fact that he had to, like, quickly, like, just change the coordinates and he didn't even know where he sent them. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool. Where it sent them through the fourth dimension, which isn't the oh, fourth dimension oh. time. No, like yes, the exactly. Yeah, time. The fourth dimension is time. At least everything I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another thing that's kind of weird. It just sounds cool. Oh, they went to the fourth dimension. Okay. It, it, it's good enough for you to say that you're not quite sure where on the planet they, they, they touched down. But, you know, you didn't have to throw in, you know, fourth dimension. So they were being backwards in time? Forward in time? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I know. And I was reading it, and then they're, they're being, you know, attacked by these, this, you know, caveman-looking thing. I was like, are they back in time? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. We're still there. It was just a joke. There you go. But there for a minute, I really thought maybe some time travel shenanigans just happened. <laughs> they insinuated that, didn't they? But, yeah. I mean, it's pretty inept to just send somebody to a volcano. Well, and and maybe the fact that they apparently are inept with sensors and transporting people. Maybe that's why they never use a transporter almost. In the UK comics? Yeah. So how about the beginning story? Okay. Hey, rather than beaming somebody over to the ship, we're going to go ahead and do a spacewalk. A nice, safe spacewalk. 
mm-hmm. with an ambassador. We're just going to do that. It's more uh, exciting course, that way. That's probably what the ambassador wanted. Well, it is more exciting that way, but it's like, why don't you guys ever use the transporters? And it's like, when they do use the transporter, they do it totally ineptly. So yeah. maybe that's why. That must be it. Must be I wouldn't that. trust them either after all that stuff. I, I guess not. So the last thing I have, and it's back to the, the monkey people. Mm-hmm. I did like that last little panel where they're, it's not it's on the last page, not the last yeah. panel. But when it shows the monkey people seeing the rocket get launched off and they're like, oh, Kirk said he was going to stop them. You know, he, they, he didn't do what he said. And then the one's like, Kirk's a shrewd man. He may right. still have something planned. And then, then they get to see it turn around and smash back into the thing. I like right. that. It kind of like, you know, he promised them he would do something for them. There for a minute, they thought maybe that he was just leaving and didn't do anything, and then and their their faith in him was rewarded. I kind of yes. like that. I kind of like it good. from their point of view. That is good. But yeah, yeah. So they had faith in Kirk that he would do something. He sure did. And I gotta say, another pretty clean solution. Now the fact that Kirk knew it was booby trap somehow, or knew that something was up, this was too easy, is a little bit of a stretch. But the idea he they finally use the transporters for something, mm-hmm. beam everybody off the rocket, and then send it back down to the headquarters. That's a pretty clean solution. Again, killing a lot of people, but you know, hey. Yeah, even the Romulan janitor that didn't do anything except yeah. you know mop exactly. the floors. He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. Did they have children? Maybe. Oh, yeah, it was a family. Yeah, it was a colony, right? I think so. Who knows when they were ever going to go back to the home world? Yeah, they probably had. Kids, pets. <laughs> exactly. They're all uh, dead. Yeah, they had Targs. Oh, I'm sorry, I have Klingons. That's, that's the wrong peoples. That's very racist. <laughs> Is it? I why? Guess, I, I guess it's not racist. That's a joke. Why, why can't a Romulan have a Targ? Exactly. exactly. So uh, that colony mustn't have been very big, because you would think that the explosion would have gone back to where the generation station was and, and basically the military compound. Sure. Or hopefully the civilians might be further away. But they made it sound like it took care of the whole colony. Yeah, but, oh, they're all gone. We yeah. get our planet back, says the eight people. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll give them some kudos. There is a panel in issue 55 where we see Chekhov's face. And I will say that's not bad. It kind of looks like Chekhov's face. And now he's got bangs, like a... Beatles haircut like kind of Davey look. Like Davy Jones? Like Davy Jones, exactly. So I will say I don't give points in the early part of the issue, but at least by that point, eh, it's, it's a decent uh, Walter Coney. Just wearing a blue shirt. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, okay, fine. You want to be picky? No. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have blue shirts. So we're traditionally Kirk would have a red shirt. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Issue, issue, issue after issue, issue. Now, everybody's got a blue shirt. I mean, Kirk's got his yellow. Kirk's gold, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's yellow, so he's fine. But a lot of folks that have also have gold, they put them, for whatever reason, with blue shirts. Right. So nobody else gets to have a gold shirt except for Kirk, I guess. Anyway. I guess it makes it easier to identify where the captain is when you want to pick him off in a military Type situation. Them. Yeah. It makes it easier for the snipers to know which one to shoot. Exactly. There you go. I did like that in the Deep Space Nine, More Trouble with Tribbles, or whatever, their Trials and Tribulations mm-hmm. that yep. episode, where one of them thinks that Scotty is Kirk because he's wearing red. 
Oh, like, oh right, yeah. No, back at this time, command was gold. You know, and they're like, what? That's stupid. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, that's funny. All right, I'm done. What else you got? I got nothing. I'm All done. right, so you wanted us to keep in mind the Romulan look before we went into this, so. Yeah, because I got confused when I began reading Story right. 33. All right, let's do it. Of course, it'll be in the comments. It's not really in the narrative, I don't think. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is uh, Storyline 33, and it's made up of issues 57 through 63, and the published dates are October 28th, 1972 through December 9th, 1972. Artist, again, is John Stokes. No idea about the writer. Issue 57. The narrative presents the Enterprise against a starless black backdrop. Suddenly, the secondary engineering hull erupts under the pressure of internal explosions. The explosion expands until it takes out the back of the saucer section in both nacelles. Light is cast on the burning wreckage from a just-opened set of doors. It was a scale model of the real Enterprise. The Klingon scientists and military men that enter the room are told by a lead scientist that he has found the weak point of the starship design and has a way to exploit it. Gentlemen, the days of the Star Federation's flagship are numbered. Twirl the mustache. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise is closing in on Saron, a Klingon-occupied world. They slow and raise shields in case the Klingons decide to take a crack at them. Kirk tells Sulu and others they are not here to attack Sirion, but rather assess the situation. The Federation assault fleet will attack when the time is right. Meanwhile, the Klingons launch their plan to capitalize on the Enterprise's weakness since they are so close to Sirion. They will use a native Sirion slave totally loyal to the Klingon Empire. The Syrian slave uses their race's unique ability to project their consciousness across great distances, an astral projection sort of thing, if you will, to the Enterprise. Once there, the ghostly form enters the ship and attacks a crewman named Connors. The innocent man is killed. The Syrian specter enters the lifeless body and animates it to life. The Klingon-controlled saboteur thinks he will raise no suspicion in this body as he makes his way to the weak point in the secondary hull's power core to trigger the ship's sweet spot destruction. End of issue 57. Beginning of issue 58. Things do not go as smoothly as the saboteur hopes, as he is put into a position by crewmates who knew Connors that exposed the deception. A frantic call to the bridge sends Kirk and Spock to the trouble while turning the con over to Uhura for the first time with this issue. Once there, the crewman, just getting to his feet, tells Kirk and Spock Connors has gone crazy and attacked Dorman with a wrench. After possibly killing Dorman, Connors ran into the other room. Kirk says confidently he'll take care of Connors while Spock helps the other men. When Kirk enters the room, he tries to talk to Connors. Then suddenly, Connors takes a swing at the captain. Kirk knocks the wrench out of Connors' hand, but finds his follow-up stomach punch has no effect on Connors. 
Connors counterattacks by grabbing Kirk by the throat with both hands. Kirk finds he cannot break Connor's grip. Kirk realizes somehow Connors has the strength of four men and he's going to die. End of issue 58. Issue 59. McCoy arrives and joins Spock. They hear the ruckus in the next room where the captain went. Inside, Kirk is given up his futile struggling and accepted the horror of his own impending death. McCoy runs up to Connors and uses his trusty hypo to bring him down swiftly with a heavy dose of tranquilizer. Kirk, now free, falls backward and gasps for sweet air. Kirk slowly recovers as Spock informs him Connors is in sickbay, where Dr. McCoy is examining the suddenly homicidal crewman. Meanwhile in sickbay, the consciousness of the saboteur decides it's time for a new body that is not pumped up with tranquilizers. He leaves Connor's body, but does not take a new body quite yet. Spock and McCoy report to the captain that Connors is dead, and not only that, he has been dead for at least an hour. Kirk is dumbfounded, since that dead man almost killed him with his superhuman strength. Spock does a quick wiki search and discovers Ceronian metabolism has the unique ability to project their consciousness beyond their own bodies. And worse, they can enter others' bodies. Spock pieces it all together and warns the captain that there is a Ceronian consciousness loose aboard the ship and likely controlled by the Klingons. It could take over anyone on the ship. Meanwhile... The Ceronian enters Kirk's quarters and waits. End of issue 59. Issue 60. Kirk and company decide the entire crew will pair up and watch each other. If the Ceronian saboteur attempts to take anyone, the other person will know it immediately and try to stop it. Kirk and McCoy enter the captain's quarters and talk about their plan to pair up. The saboteur realizes he cannot take over anyone and uses his telepathic abilities to ask his distant Klingon masters for help. The Klingons send a nearby D-7 to shake things up on the Enterprise and hopefully give the saboteur a chance at taking someone alone. The Ceronian finds his opportunity in sickbay when Dr. McCoy is knocked unconscious by a particularly nasty shock caused by a vicious Klingon impact on the Enterprise's shields. The ghostly saboteur moves in for the kill. End of issue 60. Issue 61. The deed done, the Ceronian, quite comfortable in his new host, contacts his masters who call off the D-7 attack. With the unrelenting D-7 attack over, Kirk orders Sulu to return fire. Sulu's timing is able to catch the D-7 with its shields down and utterly destroys the Klingon ship, with all hands aboard. McCoy enters the bridge groggily, informing Kirk one of his patients, named Peterson, is vanished from sickbay. Spock reports the ship's library offers no information on how they might be able to destroy the disembodied Serionin. They can take down Peterson, but the Serionin's consciousness would just leave and try again with a different person. Suddenly, a call comes in from engineering, reporting that they spotted Peterson running towards the central power complex. Kirk tells Uhura to take the con as she and Spock hurry to the central power complex. 
When they arrive, they find Peterson has locked himself in the power complex behind a bulkhead door. Spock offers his assessment that somehow the saboteur will attempt to blow the ship up from behind that door. End of issue 61. Issue 62. Kirk and company totally ignore the fact that they have transporters and start to cut their way through the door using a hand torch tool that's kind of sort of like a phaser. But the going is slow, and they have to somehow stop that saboteur. Inside the power complex, the Serionin is confused since the room's layout is not what he was trained on. The Klingon's information on the all-important room is not as perfect as they thought and is likely, in fact, out of date. He telepathically contacts his Klingon masters, who start to talk him through what needs to be done based on the mental images the slave is able to send back to the Klingons. While Kirk is cutting a hole in the door, Spock pulls out a yellow egg beater from the galley and says this device should be able to block the telepathic communications between the Serionin and the Klingons. With the door hole cut, Spock plugs the egg beater into a handy wall socket and sticks the business end through the hole. As Spock alters the speed control of the device, Kirk and Uhura look at a monitor showing the Serionin in the room. He's grabbing his head in obvious discomfort. Ahura tells Spock his thought projector device is working, and she thought it was just good for making omelets. Kirk starts cutting a second hole around the lock mechanism of the thick door, saying Spock has slowed down the saboteur, but if they can't get through the door and fast, they're done for. End of issue 62. Talk about cliffhangers. Ooh. Issue 63. The Klingons bring in three more Serionins to try to break through whatever kind of jamming the Starfleet crew has in place. One of the more junior scientists reminds his superior the body detachment tanks must be set up very carefully. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk estimates ten more minutes before they can get through the door, which could easily be too late. Spock has an idea. Rather than just blocking the Serionin's concentration with gibberish thoughts, Spock could attempt to take positive control over the saboteur's mind as the Klingons did. Kirk tells Spock to try it. Spock orders the saboteur to leave Peterson's body and return to the planet Serion. Confused, the Serionin does as he is told and arrives back in his body on Serion. Spock tries one last command. He tells the Serionin to destroy the room he is in, trash the place. He does so, much to the Klingon's surprise, and triggers a huge explosion when his path of destruction reaches a sensitive control panel. Back on the Enterprise, the bridge calls down to Captain Kirk, telling him sensors show explosions on the planet Serion. Kirk takes the report as the sweet news of victory. End of issue 63 and storyline 31. Sweet victory, huh? Sweet victory. I just want to point out that that is not an egg beater. Yeah! <laughs> it just happens to kind of look a weird. <laughs> but I don't want the listeners to think that he really went and got it from the galley and started <laughs> just whisking away at the air. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yes. It looks like an egg beater, but yeah. So where does Spock get that from? Where did he, where did he, where did he pull that device out of? He whipped what it out. What orifice did he, he whip it out of? created it. 
He's a genius. He's a he's a Jane, yes. And he's very good at putting together electronics very quickly. Right. So, so. he just happened to have one that counteracts mind controlled Exactly. Peoples. So very handy guy to have around Spock. Oof. I thought it was weird that this issue and the first issue we read today really delved into mind control. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least in the first one it was their own bodies. Yep. But in this one, again, you don't have to have any receiving thing. You just are able to move your mind from one body to the next without really worrying about how it's transmitted through space. Right. So has Doctor Strange or you know any of those kind of guys that can do astral projection, I mean, they're able to leave their bodies and cruise around, but are sure. they ever able to enter somebody else's body? Not that I know of. Yeah, well, Doom Patrol, there's the negative man who can... But he always has to go back into the same guy's body. Okay. He basically okay. can leave leave his host body and, yeah. and do the astral projection thing and then come back, so... Okay, yeah. But so that's like a Doctor Strange thing, right? Kind of, except he's not... I mean, it's more of like this, really, is that it's not it's not his body. He's oh. something... He oh, okay. resides in somebody else's body. But... He, oh. I, I, don't, I don't. I mean, I haven't read every Doom Patrol book ever, but uh, I don't think he ever goes back into somebody else's body. It's always the same dude. Okay. Okay. So two consciousnesses share the same body. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like Doctor Strange, except you, or not Doctor Strange, uh, Doctor Fate, except it's not the helmet. It's just a spirit, an okay. alien. Oh, is that what Doctor Fate is? No, Doctor Fate has the magic helmet. That's its own consciousness that merges oh. with the person that's wearing it. Uh, oh, okay. Negative man is a space entity that's inside of another guy. Ah, okay. Okay, so kind of like Dexter. The book Dexter, yeah. The book, book Dexter. The, the dark passenger. Exactly, exactly. We are of one mind. Perfect. <laughs> I just want to mention the, uh, the payoff to what I started off before. It's really not that big a deal, but... When I first read this issue, where the storyline, the previous mm-hmm. storyline was all about Romulans, and they looked like Ming the Merciless. So here we go. Here's another issue. And the scientist that says he knows how to you know, destroy the Enterprise with the weakness, he looks like Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, I didn't bother taking, you know, trying to have the two issues sitting side by side to mm-hmm. look at the two faces, but they look awful similar. Yeah, really the only difference is that the Romulan does have Vulcan-pointed eyebrows, even though he doesn't have pointed ears, but his eyebrows are at least pointed, whereas this yeah. guy, he has... Bushy ones. Bushy, normal eyebrows. Yeah, right. But um, facial-wise and mustache-wise, very similar. Very yeah, similar. very similar. Now, the good thing is that the the helmet he's got on, he, he's got a, like a spacesuit helmet on. Yeah, um, why? I mean, is, I, I'm is, not quite this, sure. I was wondering, is like when he says it's a scale model of the Enterprise, I was like, so it was in the vacuum of space? I mean, they're <laughs> testing that their little sabotage will explode it if it's in a vacuum? I, I didn't really understand why he's wearing a, a spacesuit. I didn't, I didn't understand it either. But, and um, it's like a, it's like a uh, the motion picture helmet. It looks like, like the same helmet that Spock wears when he goes into V'ger, mm-hmm. which this predates it by what, almost 20 yeah. years. Not 20 years. Similar, similar design, similar color. It's really right, yeah. except it has the cool Klingon logo on it, which I exactly. thought was really. I thought that was really nice. 
I thought that was a very good point. The only thing is, because of the face of the guy, I thought this was going to be another Romulan story. It's like, oh, they got a lot of Romulan stuff going on. But wait a minute. That logo does, looks like a Klingon one, not a Romulan, uh, you know, like a raptor bird kind of symbol. Right. But no, it's a Klingon, so okay, fine. I, had conf- I was confused <laughs> at the beginning of the issue. And then as soon as you turn the page, did you feel bad for the uh, the plasma guy that they're kind of torturing to get his soul out? I thought that was a little much. Was that torture? I uh, don't know. I mean, it has like a machine that's zapping him. I, I was thinking exactly. that. I, I wasn't getting that they were willingly doing it. it kind of felt like they oh. were being forced to, to do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it turns out the guy's totally... Uh, Oh, my, my great, wonderful masters. It's like, oh my God, this guy's really drinking the Klingon Kool-Aid here. Sure. Um, it sounds like, so it sounds like they've, it sounds like they've taken over the planet, but I mean, have they had the planet for a while that they've been able to co-opt the natives so totally? Right. Um, Don't know. Hmm. It just seemed kind of odd. And, and we know, apparently we know a lot about the Serionans, the, the native ones, because we've got it in our banks about their astral projection abilities. So Yeah, I didn't um, like that part. I kinda yeah. wish they would have they could have continued the mystery of why are all these crew members doing this? Yeah, they did figure it out kinda quick, didn't they? Yeah, super quick. I was really I yeah. was I was really disappointed when I was reading it. I was just like, oh man, I wonder if it's yeah. a mystery. Because I kind of like the idea. And then especially, you know, when uh, McCoy's like, according to these readings, this guy's been dead for over an hour. I was like, yeah, right. this is be cool. He's yeah, going to yeah. kill a lot. A mystery. A mystery. Not as soon long. as that happened and the guy was really dead, I was like, oh, he's never going to jump into, like, Kirk's body because uh, that would that would kill the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because when, when the Serionan takes over a body, it's I guess they kill the person first. Yeah, they first. kill the person. And it's like, how are they killing the person? I mean, w- when they hit Connors, I think that was the first guy, it hmm. just appears as if the white uh, popcorn specter is just like hitting him or, or what, thoom. Like there's right. some kind of electrical discharge or something? I don't know. It just seems I don't odd. know. And he's the only one that actually falls to the ground and then has to get back up once. And it says moments passed. Right. So he's the only one that seems to have that effect when he gets his body taken over. All the other ones are still standing where they were, like, you know, over the medical bay or whatever well, when they get uh, transferred. Maybe they just didn't take the time to, to show the uh, the middle part. Right, um, maybe. You only see what the panels show you. And you got to fill in the rest with your imagination. <laughs> Imagination. Yes, exactly. I thought they did a good job of drawing McCoy's hypo. I think that looks pretty good. I think they must have had a picture of a Taw's hypo to go off of. Of mm. course, it's all red, which is not... You know, it's, no, it's silver. It's mostly silver and gray and things, not red. Did but, you have uh, one of those, too? No, I do not have one of those. What? But I am, I am old... And a big enough Ataz fan, I have seen uh, the good doctor's hypo many a time. I always liked that one where he could like pop the vial off and mm-hmm. this like red or blue liquid, whatever mm-hmm. it was supposed to be, and switch it yeah. out. Yeah, 
That makes so much sense. Yeah, I always thought that was cool. And I remember when I was a kid, I got, uh, I, I don't know what I was inoculated for, but it was, you know, they, they had the gun thing and they put it up to your arm and then they shot you with it. Right. And, uh, and they had at the back of it, as I recall, this was a long time ago, but uh, I seem to remember them having like, like a little vial kind of thing on the back of this gun thing that they shot you with. Hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, oh, ooh, Star Trek. Made you all excited. Oh, yeah. Can I get two of them? <laughs> okay, I got two arms. <laughs> is that the is that the vaccination that leaves like the scar, like the big? Crown? I think so. Yeah, uh, I think that's what it was. Now, just looking at my arms, I don't really see a scar, but I think I used to have one. I don't know. Huh? Yeah, they anyway. they got rid of that before I I was vaccinated. So, like, yeah. my parents had it, but I didn't. Yeah. And that's what they always told me that it was. They would give you a whole bunch of shots at once. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. I got from this issue that Kirk really thought he was going to die. And he was scared. Oh, yeah, like when, he, when he's getting choked up? He's getting choked out. And he, he knows he can't do anything to stop this guy from doing it. And he's like... And I think there was a really good particular panel, well-drawn, where Kirk is, you know, up against the wall getting killed. And he, he has a look of fear in his eyes. And his, they got the red-orange ink that they use in, in Spock in the previous storyline, and they <laughs> use it for uh, Kirk here. But now even his hair is red. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like if it was on red alert, and it's a red, like, exactly. red light right. overhead or something. Right. It's like he, he's got some red light shining on him and, and reflecting off of everything. Anyway, but I thought they did a very good job with that. Because the latest season of Fargo, season four I think it is, does some interesting things where... They use color a lot to try to get across things. And, uh, and that's definitely what this is doing. I mean, they're really trying to emphasize the danger Kirk is in. Uh, and I think, I mean, you know, Kirk is like, oh, I'll always get out of things. I'll take care of this. You know, there's always a way out of things, you know. Yeah, uh, well, that, that new but, Nurse Ratchet show really does that too with the lights. Oh, yep. There you go. That too. Anyway, so here you go. I, I thought that was really good that they were able to depict Kirk where he was out of control of the right. situation, which it doesn't happen very often. So I, I didn't think they explained it very well as far as why why when that guy is in somebody else's body, that person's body is now stronger, heavier, overall more powerful and takes less damage than the body did before it was entered. I mean, it would still be the same muscles. It would still be the yep. same... Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't care, and maybe the normal pain you would feel from exerting your muscles that much—you don't even feel it. Mm. So you're know. saying I, that I'm just throwing that out. I yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, you naturally don't give 110 percent because of the damage it would do to your body. But if you didn't feel it, would you yeah. be stronger yeah. because you're able to do that? But even though you're going to be damaging your body by doing, it. yeah, maybe. Maybe I don't know. I mean, is that the same, same premise times. that? That Dark Man uses the movie yeah, Dark Man. I think so. I think so. Interesting. All of my I, nerves I have been fried. What's that? I am, all of my nerves have been fried. I am Dark Man. Oh. I like that oh. movie. I, I that was a comic book, right? Or did they make that completely up for the? Uh, uh, for no, the they made it up. Okay. Sam Raimi wanted to do a comic book movie, but he couldn't get the rights to anything, so he just made up his made own. Made up his own. Cool. And then Marvel did 
do a Dark Man series at, well after the movie was made. Right. And he's he's come back a few times in other uh, other comic book companies, but they never last very long for some reason. Hmm. That's too bad. I like yeah, that movie. I always liked Dark Man. Dark Man. I was a kid when Dark Man came out. I was not old enough to see a rated R movie, and in fact, my buddy and I went to go see it, and they did not let us buy tickets. Ah. Uh. And so we left the theater, and I went to like a Walden bookstore there in the mall, and I bought the novel, uh, Dark Man, and, mm-hmm. and they rang it up just fine. And I remember thinking, I'm like, all right, so I can buy this book and read it, and it'll have everything that the movie had, but I can't go watch the movie. Seemed, seemed a little yes. hypocritical. Yes, you've got it, by <laughs> Jove. I was uh, I was thinking I was like I guess if they think you're mature enough to sit there and read a 300 page book then uh, then <laughs> you must really want it. <laughs> I don't know I just thought it was I thought it was weird and I've and Dark Man has always been the, that movie that I always I always think about when I think about being a kid and not being able to watch a movie I wanted to watch. Ah, I know I ran into that kind of thing myself too. There was some movie I couldn't see, but I I don't remember what it was. However. When I was like 12, maybe, my brother took me to see Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Sure. Because we had gotten into... I mean, he was, he's like nine years older than me. So uh, he was back from college or whatever. So we used to watch Monty Python on Saturday nights, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and he took me to the movie. And then right after the movie, he said, well, let's stay for the second movie because it's a Flash Gordon movie. And it's like, he mustn't have looked at it very closely. It was Flesh Gordon. Oh, wow. So they actually played basically that porno. It was watered down after this particular, I think it was the Colony Movie Theater in Chicago. And and they actually played well, PG, right? I mean, Monty Python wasn't a big deal. I mean, the Holy Grail. Right, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was PG. Um, and, then, and then following it was, was, you know, I think it was like a hard R rated movie. And I think they also had a version of it that was straight X and they just recut it. But it was like, I'm like watching this movie. And it was like, huh, they're flying around in a rocket ship penis. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, and then finally, uh, Nick said, um, I don't think this is what I thought it was. We should leave. And then I said, okay. So I didn't see the whole like, thing I until I was older. The good part. <laughs> I didn't see the rest of that movie until I was older. Oh, you have watched it? Oh, yes. I've watched it. It's I've, schlocky. I've heard, I've heard the term. I've heard the, the title, but I've never... Oh, yeah. I've never tried to look it up. Or it's it's a lampooning kind of thing. I mean... Sure. You know. And, it, and the actors are not fantastic, but at least, you know, they're trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Zarkov is... You know, he he built a spaceship that is in the shape of a penis, a bent penis. As so you, there you go. As you will. As you will. And it's like, oh my gosh. Anyway. Huh. All right. We are off in the weeds, man. Yes, we are. And That's let's. Nothing uh, to do with this issue. No. I thought the design of the Serionin was interesting. He's got like almost like a frog kind of face. Yeah, he reminded me of like a, just a, a marshmallow dude. Like a, <laughs> there you like go. If, what if a marshmallow was a person? That's what exactly like. malleable. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like yeah. Clayface a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, something like that. And so in some scenes, it looks like he's got a green skin. In other scenes, he's definitely got brown skin. Uh, 
whatever. And his buddies. I mean, his buddies look exactly like him. There towards the end. Are you being specious? No, I'm just saying I don't think they drew a lot of... Are you, are, are you trying to say they all look alike? Just saying the artist might not have drawn any different stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. I agree. Yes. You know what they remind me of? What? Chet from Weird Science. Weird oh, Science. When he turns into the big thing of poop. Oh. Bill, Bill Paxton. Oh, I. you know, I didn't even remember Bill Paxton was in that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, it's been that long since I watched it. He's the brother. The jerk brother. The jerk brother. Okay. Yeah. That's one of those movies I, I watched a long time ago when it came out and never saw it again. Yeah. So I, I think that was before Bill Paxton was something. Mm. Well, was, he, was he like a teenager or something? Yeah, he's pretty young. Yeah. Right. Early 20s, maybe. Right. Okay. But playing younger. Right. Cool. So the D7 looks good, I thought. And I like yeah. that they, they actually put the uh, Klingon logo on the wing, which I don't think the original models did, but it looks cool. Yeah. But the shape of it is spot on. Oh, yeah. No, it looks fantastic. Yeah. And the Enterprise looks pretty good in most panels, but then towards the end, it goes a little off the rails in the final panel. I think the, uh, the saucer oh. section looks kind of like small and like lumpy. Yeah, but maybe they were just fine. trying to fit it in that last panel and get all those words in there. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, the the space spaceships always look good in these. Uh, this artist, he does a pretty good job. In general, yes. A lot of bulkheads that look like submarine doors, mm-hmm. which I well, don't remember ever seeing in the movie or the show, right? Right. With those hatches and stuff. Yep. I mean, I know Gold Key goes hard on the submarine look, too, so it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting to see these guys doing the same thing. Yeah. But they really wanted to get across, and it was hard to get through that door. Sure, I get it. I mean, I get it why, in story-wise. Why they did there, it. But it's just yeah. visually it doesn't match anything I remember seeing. Right. I agree. And then, like, the last thing I think we already talked about, the scale model. I don't really see how they thought that they really built out a scale model that would, you know, have the same amount of energy output compared to the hull of the ship and everything else that they were going to sabotage to get the a, a truly scaled explosion of what, what happened to the real Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It looks cool, but uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't uh, buy that they did a true one-to-one. Or I guess it wouldn't be one to one, one to three hundred and sixty-five ish. Yeah, not only that. I mean, I mean, are they actually talking about a part of the superstructure that's the weakness, or some equipment? Right. And if it's equipment, it's like, well, you're reproducing the equipment in you know one thirty one three hundred and twenty-fifth scale. Uh, I, we may have alluded to this earlier a bit, but. Um, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> I, yeah. How, how close could it be to, to be truly representative? And in the end, it wasn't. Right. So. Well, yeah, so then I was wondering, I was like, well, was, was this guy being trained inside of the, the, was he able to project his body into the model? <laughs> and that was how he knew where everything was. And he's like, when he walked in there, he's like, hey, this doesn't look like the model did. And you're like, no crap, it's a lot bigger. <laughs> you can't yeah. get a lot of detail into that little tiny model. No, and so. and you got to figure that they had some, maybe some full size reproductions of the power room. Which, go figure, you didn't know really what it looked like. 
or or your information was out of date. Right. Uh, so. And I was kind of in my mind. I was kind of chalking that up to uh, Scotty Reset? being, being a, a tinkerer. That he. Oh really? You know, they had like the original blueprints, but he over the time over these years he's moved some stuff, upgraded some stuff that it wouldn't quite match the original blueprints. That's how I justified it in the noodle. Could be it. The old noodle. All right, what else you got? I really don't have anything else. I don't I'm, have anything I'm else. I'm just nitpicking now. Yeah. Ahura took the con twice, which is great in this yeah, issue. Yeah, good for her. Good for her. Once in the previous one, so they're doubling down on all this, which is great. And, and I will say that say. The, the wrench that Connor whacks uh, Kirk with mm-hmm. looks just like the wrench that Khan used. I mean, it's pretty pretty good wrench. Khan used a wrench? It doesn't Khan wail on Kirk with a wrench in the in the in their big fight. In in Taws. In in the Space Seed episode, yeah. yeah At least Kirk. in my in my memories I remember him grabbing a wrench and hitting him with him once. But maybe maybe it wasn't a wrench, I don't know. It was Kirk that was able to grab a part of a control panel that wasn't really a wrench. Okay. But it that's how Kirk was able to beat Khan. Uh, maybe he, that's he used a blunt instrument to overcome Khan's superior strength. That's it. Okay. All right. That's it for me. Cool. So do you like the middle one the best? I do think I like the middle one the best, yeah. Um, you? I kind of like... <sighs> eh, probably. I probably agree. <laughs> None of these are singing to me, I gotta read this one again. Right. right. Um, but... Yeah, so I, I guess of all the options, the middle one was the least objectionable. No, no, I mean, the middle was the best. There you go. Middle was the best. Middle one was the best. So uh, next week, what are we doing? So we're going to take a break from UK Comics, just to keep things fresh, and we're going to go back to New Visions. So Mr. Burns' photo novel series of... We're going to do issues 16 and 17. So I guess we did 14 and 15 last time, so we're doing 16 and 17 for next time. For you guys following along at home. Yes, the legion of people that are out there. Yeah, so uh, it should be interesting. The cover of that one has a very interesting alien, which we'll talk about next week. Oh, a nice little teaser. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back next episode with some Star Trek goodness. It sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the